So we're celebrating our fourth birthday, and this is always an appropriate time to kind of share briefly kind of the story of this church. Uh, January 2012, after uh, Crystal and I had gone through an assessment process with a church planning network that said, yeah, you should do this, uh, we started gathering together a uh, kind of core group, launch team, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we had about 20 people gathered together in our living room the first night of Sunday evening in, in January of 2012, um, and kind of started there, 20 folks. And, and then within a couple of weeks, we added about five more people, which means we outgrew my living room. It's not that big. Uh, and so we had some friends down at the warehouse, if you know the warehouse on South Rogers. Uh, they were very gracious and offered us some office space in there to meet at, meet for free on Sunday afternoons. So we started meeting there Sundays at four uh, every week, about probably about start of February, uh, just kind of building uh, the DNA of what this church would be, trying to build a, a gospel-centered DNA into to who and what we would dream to become. And so we're, we're meeting together, we're dreaming together. Uh, by the uh, start of summer, uh, the, that group had kind of grown to about 30 to 40-ish adults, depending on the week, and 7 to 10 kids, depending on the week. And we shifted to uh, starting our first two community groups at that point that would meet during the week, They kind of fellowship, share a meal, uh, kind of talk about what we were talking about on Sundays together and, and just kind of pray for one another, be caring for one another in those sorts of ways. And we started doing uh, Sunday worship at, at the warehouse in that little office with, a, about, you know, and on, in those days, like if 35 people were in the room, we we're like, this is the greatest thing that ever happened, right? This is so cool. Wow. And then at some point, like in that summer, we, we just kind of let people know, like not directly, like we just had on our website, hey, we, we are hanging out on Sundays at four o'clock. And the, the weirdest thing started happening. People who none of us knew randomly started showing up. It was so weird. Uh, Stephen and Kristen Hopkins, I think, were like the, one of the first couples ever to come that like none of us had any relationship with or knew beforehand, but they just like found us. And we were like, how did you know about this? This is amazing. People are coming. Um, it's, it's cool. By the end of the summer, we were getting ready to kind of gear up to our, our first public gathering. And so we moved down the street here to the Banneker Community Center, which was our home for most of the first three years of this church. Uh, and we, we started meeting there and moved to Sunday mornings because that was important. We wanted to be able to meet on, on the Sunday mornings. And uh, by God's grace, we, we had our first public gathering on September 9th, 2012, with about 100 people in the room. And probably uh, 30% of those folks were like supporters and well-wishers and friends who just came to celebrate with us the start of this church. So it made us feel a little bit bigger than we actually were at, at that point. But by God's grace, we've just experienced steady growth here. Uh, he has continued to build his church day by day by day, uh, just steadily uh, growing. Uh, we've gone from two community groups at the start to now 12 community groups and counting. Uh, we, we've had, as of today, we'll celebrate our 62nd baptism in that period of time, uh, 23 in this last year. Uh, we've witnessed and celebrated so many stories uh, of redemption, uh, of people... <laughs> meeting face-to-face -face with their sin and responding with repentance and faith and, and, and just the gospel doing a work of, of redemption and transformation, restoring marriages, restoring relationships, all sorts of uh, amazing, amazing things. And, and Jesus gets all the glory, right? It's, it's all from him. Like uh, 2 Corinthians 5.18, which is part of the text we're looking at today, says, all this is from God. 
All this is from God. He gets all the glory because it's Jesus that reconciles sinners to himself. It's, it's Jesus who does that work of redemption and restoration in our lives. And, and we are just here to, to serve with him, to join him in that work. And he's the one who does it in and through us. And so we just want to celebrate today what, what Jesus has done thus far in building his church here at Redeemer over the last four years. But this is also a good time to look ahead, right? To look ahead at what we want to do going forward. I just recently watched this movie with our family. We sat down and watched the Pele Birth of a Legend film. Do you know who Pele is? Shame on you if you don't, uh, right? The greatest soccer player of all time. Uh, three World Cup uh, championships, more than anybody else. Uh, scored over 1,280-something goals the most all-time. Just unbelievable. Uh, Guy from Brazil, right? Uh, It's a fun, fun movie. It really kind of follows his childhood in this really poor village where he didn't even, he started playing without shoes. uh, And that's how he played to becoming the the national hero uh, in the 1958 World Cup as a 17-year-old winning Brazil's first World Cup, the first of three that he, he would win. And so it uh, follows along in that. And, and so if you know the history, and the movie kind of tells some of this, like in 1950, Brazil lost the uh, World Cup by a last-minute just heartbreaking goal, and, and they were just devastated. And then in the next World Cup in 54, they lost in the quarterfinals. And most of the folks in Brazil were just convinced that the reason we're losing is our style of play. I mean, Brazil was known for this very creative, beautiful style of play that's kind of based on this kind of old African martial arts that was kind of disguised into the soccer because it became illegal for the ex-slaves to practice their martial arts, and they found soccer is the perfect place to kind of hide continuing to do that, and it really kind of shaped the way they played uh, soccer, football, depending on where you're from, right? Um, And so they felt like this style is why we're losing. And so they're like, we need to become more like the Europeans. We need to start playing this rigid physical style that all the Europeans at that time period were kind of playing. And so there's this real feel of like, we don't want to be us anymore. And so Pele comes on the scene as a 15-year-old getting recruited to play for a professional team. And he's struggling because the coaches are trying to drive out of all the players all this kind of just natural style that they've grown up with and wanting to force them to be more like this European style. And at one point, he's about ready to go home. He's like just going to call quits. But the scout who found him comes, sits with him, and is like, hey, you just need to be yourself. You don't need to play like anybody else. Just play like you. And so he decides to stick around and he plays. The next match, he just beautifully ride maneuvers down the field and does the famous kind of bicycle kick to score the goal. Um, amazing. And the coach... In the, in the film, anyway, I don't know if this is true or not. But he, like, yells at him, he, and he's like, hey, come here. What was that? And Pele, you can tell, he, like, he's, he's feeling like I'm in trouble. And he starts to apologize to the coach, and the coach is like, do it again. <laughs> right? Do that again. Do that again. And I think for us as, as a church, that's really kind of what I want to tell us most, and most importantly today is just, Let's do it again, right? Let's keep doing what, 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 we've, been, what we've been doing. Let, let's let the Lord continue to do what he's doing in and through us here. Um, to continue to grow and abide in Christ and increasingly live as his ambassadors in the city, in this place that he's put us. Sharing the gospel and, and proclaiming his glory uh, with the city that we love. Um, that's what we see in our text, 2 Corinthians five eighteen through 21. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles. Let's stand together. Let's hear from God's word. 
All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for this day to just celebrate and reflect on, on so much grace that we have experienced in this body. And to pray that, Lord, you will do it again. Uh, that you will continue to add to the number of those that you are saving, that you will continue to uh, take your gospel forward in the city through, through this body, through, through other churches in this town that, that proclaim your gospel, and through other churches that you will multiply out of us and out of others to uh, the fame and glory of your name alone. Would you help us today to see our role in that as individual Christians and as a church corporately? to be your ambassadors. Would you fuel us and equip us and send us to proclaim your glory? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. The Bible tells us the spiritual condition of every human being apart from faith in Christ. It's pretty clear. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says it like this. And you were dead. In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Right? So that's the spiritual condition of every human apart from Christ. Dead in your sins. Children of wrath, under condemnation and judgment for your sin. And that condition is the result of our sinful rebellion alone. Right? We are the ones responsible for our sin. It's, it's all on us. We bear the weight of that. It's, it's God, though, even though it's us who makes the offense against him, even though it's us who rebels against him, God has no offense against us. God does nothing against us to break that relationship. Yet it's God who initiates pursuing reconciliation. It's God who makes reconciliation possible between us and him. And he extends and offers peace to us. That's what Paul's talking about when he says this in verse 18. All this is from God. right? It's all from God. You need to understand that your reconciliation with God, you don't decide to reconcile yourself to God. You're not like, I think I'll, I'll make myself right with him today. Now, it's not, that's impossible. It's only from God. It's only God's doing from start to finish. He makes your reconciliation possible. He makes it come to be. Right? He brings it about. But God in his wisdom and grace, he's established this pattern of how reconciliation comes to be between a, a sinner, a, a rebellious enemy of God, and the perfectly righteous, good, and just, holy God. And that pattern involves God sending a representative, an ambassador, we see in the text, to proclaim a message, 
to share a message, a very specific message with a specific content. We're going to look first here at the the ambassadors of reconciliation. Let's talk about the ambassadors. It seems clear from the text that these ambassadors were once themselves regarded as dead in their sin, children of wrath, enemies of God. Look at verse 18. It says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Right, Those that Jesus chooses to be his representatives, to take the gospel to the people he, he's calling into reconciliation are themselves people who were reconciled. People who used to be enemies of God. Sinful people. Broken people. In other words, there's no room for, for superiority in the sharing of the gospel with, with others. Right? The, the, these ambassadors are former enemies, regarded as dead, once regarded as dead in their sins. Sinners saved by grace alone. And there's no distinction between the ambassador of reconciliation then, apart from God's grace alone, and the one to whom they share the message of reconciliation. The only distinction is the grace of Jesus. That's the only thing. We're the same. And so I say to you today, if, you're, if you don't know Christ, are, are you sinful? Well, so are we. And so were we. Are you in rebellion against God? So were we, right? Are your hearts hard towards God? So were ours. There is no elevated position. We are all sinners in need of grace. We're all sinners in need of grace. The only distinction is that these ambassadors have now been reconciled to God through Christ. These are not ambassadors for hire, right? Who are just like, sent there like a diplomat, like we think of like foreign ambassadors who are just assigned to a post and maybe they're passionate about what they're representing. Maybe they're just excited to live in like Jamaica. I don't know, right? Uh, maybe they're just excited to be there. They could care less about what they're actually doing. They're, they're ambassadors for hire. They're ambassadors appointed. But these ambassadors, these are not ambassadors for hire who have no experience or understanding about what they represent They've, they've tasted reconciliation. They have themselves been reconciled. To be a Christian is to understand what it is to have your sin exposed to you, to feel its weight, to feel its burden, to feel the impossibility of ever making things right with God on your own. Right? And then to look at the cross, to look and see Jesus nailed there, paying your penalty in your place, to see that through him, your guilt now disappears. That burden, that weight of your sin that you feel so real on you is lifted from your shoulders. To know that you have been set free from your sin. To know that God has forgiven you. And even more than that, he's, he's accepted you. He's embraced you. These, these are no cold preachers that Paul's talking about here. These are those who themselves have tasted the goodness of God's grace and mercy. They have themselves been reconciled and received the gift of the finished work of Jesus Christ. But know that the Apostle Paul who's writing this here is also not writing to a group of pastors. This isn't a letter to a group of pastors. This isn't a letter to some other group of, of elite leaders in the church or anything like that, right? There is no such thing, right? He, he's writing to the church in Corinth, to the Christians in Corinth, to every single believer in Christ in that church and saying, you are ambassadors, right? You're ambassadors. You've tasted reconciliation. You have been given the ministry of reconciliation. This is our call. 
This is our call. The only training you need is to experience the reconciliation of God through Christ. That's the training that you need. Is there room for growing and being equipped and experienced? Absolutely. But the only thing you need to start is to be reconciled to God through Christ. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. If you're in Christ, you are his ambassador, and you've been entrusted with a message to deliver. And we see here the content of the message, right? The message is that reconciliation is obtained only in Christ, only through Christ. You cannot reconcile yourself to God. You cannot do enough good works if you do good from here to the end of eternity to make yourself right with God. God's law demands perfect obedience. And we have all sinned and fallen short. No one is righteous. No one does good, the word tells us. There is no amount of good you can do to outdo the sin that you've done or the sin that you will do. You cannot make yourself right with God. Right? You cannot do away with your sin by simply feeling bad about it. Like, oh, I'm really, really sad. I'm, I really regret it. You can't, you can't make yourself right just by feeling bad about your sin. There's no ritual that you can go through. Right? No sacred rite to perform that makes you right with Him. The only way to be reconciled to God is through Christ and specifically through His substitution. Through his substitution. Verse 19 says that is in Christ God was reconciling um, them to himself, the world to himself, and not counting their trespasses against them. And then verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's the message, right? Here's the good news of the gospel we are entrusted with. Every human being is sinful, and as a result, we are lost and condemned apart from Jesus, but Jesus, but God. We read that already this morning. But, but Jesus came into the world. The eternal Son of God came into the world, and he took upon himself our human nature, right? that he might be our brother and that he might be our substitute. And he lived in our place, the, the sinless life the law of God demands, right? the, the perfect life, the sinless life that we never could live. And he died in our place, the death that we deserve for our sins. And we see here the, the, the real torment of the cross in verse 21. is not so much the physical pain, as excruciating as the physical pain of the cross would have been. That's not the real torment of the cross. The the real torment was our sinless Savior being regarded and treated as our sin. Cosmically, suffering the wrath that we deserve, the full weight of God's wrath that should have been on us was put on Him that it might not fall to us. He took it all. He paid it all in our place as our substitute that all who would repent of their sin and believe on Christ might be reconciled to God might be restored, might be welcomed in, accepted, forgiven, set free. God looks on Christ on the cross, and, and the beautiful thing is, is if you put your faith in him, what he sees is your sin on Christ. He sees your sin in him, and that now through faith in Christ, he looks on you, and he only sees Christ's perfection. And he regards you and treats you as if you were as clean as Jesus, as perfect and sinless as Jesus. 
not only that, he not only sees you as having not sinned, he sees you as if you've always obeyed perfectly. For he says that, that in Christ we become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. Nothing else is needed to make you right with God. Right? Nothing else. And I, and I know what goes through your minds because sometimes it creeps into my mind too. But, whoa, I don't know. You don't know about what I've done. Right? You don't, you don't know about my sin. You don't know about how deeply I, I, my sin goes. And, and, and my, my word to you this morning is, listen, if Jesus' if Jesus's sacrifice was not enough to pay for your sin, then he'd still be dead. Then he'd still be dead. He'd still be in a grave, in a tomb somewhere. But he's not. He's alive, right? He's risen. He's, he's been risen to declare his, his victory over sin and death. That, that, that God accepts the payment in full. And not only is he, has he been raised, but, but he has ascended to the right hand of God the Father where he intercedes for you. He prays for you. He advocates for you. He, he, he speaks up on your behalf and says, no, I've paid for that. That's paid in full. I've already done that. They're, they're mine, right? Righteous. They're clothed in my perfection. He has done it all. Nothing else need be done but to put your trust in him. To put your trust in him. That's the message that we've been entrusted with. That's the gospel that we must share. But there's also here a a, a word about the delivery of the message. There's more to just simply saying the gospel, right? Simply imparting information. This is not just information sharing. There's something more here. Look at verse 20. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. But this is not language of simply sitting down over coffee and just telling you information. Right? This is what Jesus did. He lived for you. He died for you. He rose for you. It's not, you know, not, not that Jesus can't work through that either. He can. But that's not really the language of the text. This is also not language of scaring and threatening people into believing either. And not that there's not a place for telling about the reality of hell and judgment for sin. There, there absolutely is a place for that. But this is not turn or burn kind of language here. No, he says, we implore you. We implore you. Do you hear that? And that, and that word, I mean, that word itself invokes deep passion and, and care and love that is involved in that sharing of the gospel. To, to implore uh, seems to involve this, this hopeful, prayerful sharing. Like, I, I so deeply want you to know Jesus. I, I deeply want you to know the life and the reconciliation that I know. And, and so I, am, I implore you, be reconciled to God. That's not simply just telling a story. That, that is, you're connected in that. You're involved in that. You're praying. You're trusting. But look at the whole verse again. It says, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. So we implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Listen, it's it's God who makes the appeal. When you share the gospel, when you implore someone to trust Christ, God is making the appeal through us. He's the one who saves. He's the one who reconciles people to himself. So when we share the gospel, we share it 
with this passionate care, this deep desire for people to know it. We're praying that they would respond. We're, we're trusting and hoping that they will. And yet we share it with this confident trust that we're not just begging people to believe it, but we're trusting that the God who's making his appeal through us is more than able to reconcile and save people and bring them from death to life. Right? We share with that kind of trust. We implore people on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be timid with that. Uh, Daniel Montgomery and Mike Cosper in their, their great book, Faith Mapping, they say it like this. We represent Jesus as we go, and it should give us a profound boldness, fearlessness, and confidence. Ambassadors don't have to accomplish anything on their own. They simply stand in as a representative, knowing that the one they represent is able to follow through on all he says. When we proclaim the gospel, we do so with profound confidence that Jesus is going to do what he says. He'll call people from death to life. He'll show off the glory of the Father. He'll heal and restore all things. His reputation is at stake, not ours. And that should free us from fear about, about what we testify. More than that, it should lead us to faith in the fact that the testimony about him will bear fruit. As Christ's ambassadors, we are to be faithful. We are to be prayerful. We are, we are to be proclaiming the gospel with that sort of, we implore you. And yet we do it with this confident trust that God is able to do exactly what he says. He's the one who saves. He's the one who redeems and reconciles. And so we, we do so deeply caring for those we share with. We do so with this profound, deep trust that God is able to rescue them. And that's how we share and honestly, when I read this passage and I think about th those words more in-depthly like that, um, it brings some conviction to me personally. Sure, I share the gospel, and I, you know, obviously I share the gospel a lot in a lot of different, different ways, but I don't always share the gospel like that. Right? I'm not always sharing it with this profound, deep trust that God is able and will do what he says he will do, Right? I'm not always so confident that he's going to move in, in people's lives. And sometimes, if I'm honest, I'm not loving people like I should either. I'm not as deeply, passionately caring for them in that time when I'm sharing the gospel. And sometimes I'm not deeply caring with it, for them enough because I'm unwilling to share the gospel with them. And I just reject the opportunity and let it go by. And, and my guess is that that's not just me who has some conviction there, but that's probably all of us. That's our church. You know, that's our church too. Absolutely, over these last four years, God has been so good to us. And we, we have proclaimed the gospel. People are sharing the gospel. And people are responding to the gospel. But is there room for repentance? Absolutely. Right? There's, there's a need for all of us to probably repent. The ways we, we fail to trust and we fail to care deeply enough to implore people to be reconciled to God. Right? There's always room for repentance and greater faith when it comes to being on mission for the gospel. And in the ways we've been faithful, let's do it again, right? Let, let's keep doing that. But where we fail to love as we should, we fail to share as we should, let us repent and let us trust and let us look back at the gospel and know that what Jesus has done for us, that he left heaven and came for us, he pursued us, that he might reconcile us to himself. And let that move us to step out, to risk our own necks and our own whatever we think our reputation is, to love people enough to share the truth about Jesus with them. The only truth that will lead to salvation and, and a restored relationship with God. 
Let's love people enough to do that. What opportunities has he given you? Is he giving you to be his ambassador in this place, in this time? Right? A lot of you are students, and like one of the greatest sins and temptations for students at any level, whether you're an undergrad or graduate student, is to just be thinking, well, I'm here for the next two, three, four, five, twelve years, and, um, and then I'm going here. And so when I get here, then I will be a faithful ambassador for the gospel. I'll be all in with whatever church I'm at there and doing my thing. I can't wait to be doing that. But right now, I just, you know, this is what I'm doing now. But, but then I'll be, do that. No, God has you here for such a time as this, does he not? That in the midst of your classes, in the midst of your busyness, in the midst of your, your dorm room, in the midst of your apartment building or your neighborhood, wherever you're at in life, he has you there now as his ambassador. Repent and seize the opportunities. Trust in him. He's the one who's doing the work. Implore people on his behalf to be reconciled to God. And if you don't know Christ today, my, my hope and my prayer is that you hear Jesus making his appeal to you today. That though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. That he has paid it all for you. And so I implore you today to be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this time to, to worship and to celebrate so much grace in our lives personally and in the lives of our church, um, in the life of this, this, this body. And we pray, Lord, that we would never grow content with where we're at, that we would, we would never be just like, oh, it's okay, it's, it's us here. No, that our eyes would be open like your eyes are open to all the people who don't know you. May our heart beat like your heart beats for the lost, to know reconciliation, to know grace and mercy, to know forgiveness and life in you. Would you open our eyes to the people you've put around us in our lives? Would you open our, our homes and, and our calendars to the opportunities you would have us in, embrace in, in loving people and, and imploring them on behalf of you to know you, to share the good news of the gospel May we be a church that not only invites people to church and to events, but may we be a church of evangelists who take the gospel to our, our neighborhoods, to our classes, to our workplace, to wherever you have us, that we would proclaim your goodness and your grace. And would you, would we do that in a, with a deep trust that you are God who saves? You're God who saved us. And, and a lot, there's a lot of stories in this room I know that it would sound really improbable that we would be knowing Christ and walking with you and doing the things that we're doing. So let us have that kind of bold trust, that confidence in you, that you're able to redeem people out of all things, anything, and set them free to know you and to know mercy. Would you use us in this place for your glory? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.